0: This is the BiggerPockets
1: Podcast Show 639.
0: REITs are one of the ultimate parts of the stock market where historical performance is a good indicator of future results. Even though, of course, we were trained to believe that that could never be the case. But REITs, uh, real estate in general, is such a steady business. If you think about most REITs, most commercial REITs, they've got leases that they've signed with tenants that run you know not your typical rental lease which is 6 months a year or maybe 2 years right the in the commercial world leases run 5 years 7 years 10 years even 15 years
1: what's up everyone this is David Green your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate podcast and joining me today is the man himself Henry Washington as we interview the Motley Fools Matt Argersinger we talk macroeconomics, we talk real estate investment trusts, we talk stock trading, and we talk how to make it all work together. Henry, first off, how are you? And second off, what were your favorite parts of today's show?
2: I am doing very well. Thank you for asking, sir. Yeah, man, the show was great. Uh, Some of my favorite parts of the show were I just liked hearing the perspective of somebody who mainly invests in the stock market, but does own some traditional real estate. And so you can ask those questions that only somebody who does both would know, right? Like, what's your favorite strategy? Why one versus the other? What do you like about one versus the other? And so we have a little bit of a conversation about uh, how he enjoys both of those investment vehicles. And we learn a lot about REITs. And what I really liked and what I really enjoyed was being able to hear how to start Not just understanding REITs, but how to start researching them for yourself and what key metrics to look for when you're researching them so that if this is something you want to get into, you have a starting point for understanding these things and how to research and understand what's the best one for you.
3: Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here! It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement. You can buy a brand new construction, turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? (laughs) It's not that
1: complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return.
3: Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole bigger pockets audience.
1: Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777.
3: That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down.
2: Transform your lead generation and deal making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com/slash BP.
1: This is not a typical seeing green episode where we're not taking questions from different bigger pockets members. We're actually diving deep into sort of a spin-off of what we typically get into. I think a, a REIT is sort of like if a real estate investor and a stock investor had a baby this is what you'd end up with. And it's definitely a different alternative to invest in real estate, but without the time commitment, without the effort commitment and sort of um, getting your feet wet. I, I think that there's a place in a lot of people's portfolios for this. And Henry, you shared a little bit about how you're sort of venturing into some other investment vehicles. and This is something you're considering. Is there anything you can share about how you're sort of venturing out of just traditional real estate investing into other stuff?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, um, I am diversifying my investment portfolio and uh, my, my baby, my bread and butter is always going to be real estate. I'm always going to have most of my net worth tied up in real estate, like physical real estate in some form or fashion, but trying to do as much research as I can about other Investment platforms and investment vehicles and so being able to just spend the, the last 45 minutes learning from uh, you know, you know, a professional right around. Uh, what real estate investment trusts are and then and how to research them and understand them has been super helpful. And so as the market is shifting, and as we're producing income from the real estate, I'm just trying to find what are some of the best strategies in order to help get an even reti- even higher return on that investment. Mm-hmm. And I like the stock market for some of the same reasons that I like real estate. I mean, we talked a little bit about it dividends are phenomenal, right? We get into real estate. A lot of us got into real estate to create passive income. Well, a dividend from a stock is truly passive. You don't have to do any work to get that paycheck every quarter or every year, depending on the payout schedule of that dividend. And so when you start buying some of these, these stocks that pay dividends and you get that truly passive income, it really feels good. You get kind of that same, some of those same warm fuzzies from real estate. And so uh, I really enjoyed this conversation.
1: And if you're worried about not getting a Seeing Green episode this week, don't worry. In a few weeks, we'll be back with fresh Seeing Green episodes for you in the traditional style. We just wanted to make sure that we were able to bring Matt in and get some access to all the knowledge that he's got. This was a really fun interview. Also, very insightful. I learned quite a bit more than what I had known before we had it. And I think you could say the same, Henry. Before we bring in Matt, today's quick tip is check me out on the Motley Fool Money Podcast. Just search for David Green Motley Fool and you should be able to find an interview where Chris Hill interviews me. We talk macroeconomics, we talk real estate investing, and it's kind of cool because you get to hear someone who's not a real estate investor asking a bunch of questions that we hear all the time. And you might just find out that you know more about real estate investing than you thought when you get around other people who don't know it as well. So check that out and then let me know in the YouTube comments what you think about how I did. Henry, any last words
2: before we bring in Matt? Yeah, man, just get ready for some great information. Turn your brain on to the idea of the stock market. I know a lot of real estate truists are just like, yes, real estate, I get the best returns. There's so many other ways to make money, but try to go into this episode with an open mind and maybe you'll learn something that piques your interest and you start investing in something that in 10 years you'll look back and be glad you did.
1: All right, let's bring in Matt. Matt Arger Singer, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast. Hey, happy to be here. I am glad that you're here. So, uh, for those that aren't familiar with your company and yourself, would you mind giving us a little background on yourself?
0: Uh, sure. I, uh, wow, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I joined the Motley Fool about 15 years ago, which makes me in full years like a dinosaur at the company. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've spent most of the 15 years working on the investing side of the company, on our various investing uh, services, and spent a lot of time with David Gardner on a lot of his services and spent some time with him on his podcast and, and things like that. But for the most part, I you know, I've been, uh, you know, a stock market investor, uh, a real estate investor, and that's kind of the, those are my areas of focus at the company. And spent some time, you know, on our, our Motley Fool Money podcast as well with Chris Hill on occasion and, and love talking to him and talking about investment ideas. Uh, so that's, that's the quick background. I live in, live in Washington, D.C. with my wife and a three-year-old son who's growing way too fast.
1: Yeah, I was just on the Motley Fool podcast being interviewed by Chris Hill. So, if I don't know what show number it is, but if you guys Google David Green Motley Fool, you should be able to find that episode. We talked about macroeconomics. We talked about trends to look for in real estate. He's a very smart gentleman. So, I'm sure that you are too. Also, how old were you when you started at Motley Fool? You look right? like. You could not have worked there 15
0: years. Oh, well, I well, I was I was a few years out of school, so I'm maybe. Well, that's, I'll take that as a compliment.
1: You were that like Doogie Howser. You look like you were 13 <laughs> years old at a corporate job.
0: No, I've just got this. Uh, you know, the, the Zoom or the, the the camera sometimes enhances your image. I just put that to max. So it makes me look <laughs> 10 years younger. That's- that is, that is. I came from a background in law enforcement.
1: That was our crew to solving every crime as you just say, enhance, enhance, and then like the <laughs> camera footage becomes better and better. So I would highly recommend anyone having any difficulty in life. The answer is just enhance. Enhance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how about your own uh, investing portfolio? Can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like and what you're interested in?
0: Sure. Well, in addition to being a dinosaur at the Motley Fool, my portfolio tends to be a lot more, uh, I'd say, conservative maybe than the average Motley Fool analyst. So, in my portfolio, you'll find a lot of dividend-paying companies. You'll find a lot of real estate investment trusts, REITs. So, I like the kind of companies that are profitable, you know, good asset quality, you know, predictable cash flows to the extent that they can pay out dividends and, and buy back shares, and so. That's, uh, you know, and not to say I don't have some of the, some companies like Amazon or Mm -hmm. Alphabet or others that are kind of on the faster growth end of the thing, but uh, that tends to be my focus. And so, you know, up to 20, 25% of my portfolio tends to be in REITs. It's uh, just because I, I like that. I like the real estate sector. The historical performance of REITs has been incredible. And you also, you know, you invest in an area of the market that not only delivers you great income, but also is much less volatile than the the overall market. And so I, I tend to lean heavily into that. I all like, right. I'm, I like to say I'm kind of like a, well, a relatively young guy running an old man's portfolio.
1: Not bad at all. So for those that are listening that aren't familiar with what a REIT is, would you mind breaking that down?
0: Sure. So uh, yeah, Real Estate Investment Trust, they've been around for a while. I think they were I think Congress commissioned them in the 1960s, early 1960s, and the way to think of them is kind of like a mutual fund of real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, you can they they trade in the public markets. You can buy and sell them in your brokerage account, but generally, what you're buying with a REIT is a you know a, a company that owns and operates you know probably a dozen, a few dozen, or maybe hundreds of properties. So you can invest, for example, in an apartment REIT that owns apartment buildings. You can invest in an office REIT. I uh, wouldn't recommend that these days, but that owns <laughs> lots of office buildings. You can invest in hotel REITs, self-storage REITs. So just If you think about real estate as an asset class, um, you can really invest in many of the different categories underneath that huge sector uh, to include data centers and cell, to- cell phone towers and and various kind of alternative uh categories of real estate. Uh, the brilliance of, I mentioned the historical returns. So if you go back to the early 70s, so roughly 50 years since the National Association of REITs has been tracking REITs, uh, they've delivered about a 13% average annual return, which uh, I think might surprise a lot of people. That's about a percentage point higher than the overall stock market um, measured by the S&P 500 over that same time frame. So it might not seem like a lot, but one percent per year over fifty odd years um, can really add up in your portfolio. And so, not only do you get an asset class that's uh, relatively less risky, uh, with more predictable cash flows, high, you know, uh, really asset-based that pays out um, generous dividends, you get really outperformance on a, on a total return basis. So, I, I love the asset class a lot. I wish more investors would would check out REITs, and so I've made them a pretty big part of my portfolio.
1: How would you describe the difference between a REIT and maybe a syndication where people are pooling their money together to buy a single-
0: Sure. Well, they, yeah, they're they're actually similar in a lot of ways, but with a REIT, you know, it's it's if, if you're looking at a publicly traded REIT, you know, again, you're looking at a fairly large enterprise company that's probably got dozens, uh, again, if not hundreds of properties. With a syndicated pool or, you know, maybe what's popular called crowdfunded real estate these days. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at probably a single asset, um, private, you know, run by a sponsor or a an operator that you're investing alongside with, and it's it, that can be compelling too. Generally, those are only reserved for most of those deals are reserved for accredited investors, and so as a you know most investors in the market don't have access to those. Where they do have access to REITs, mm. of course, uh, but I, I like that asset class as well. Uh, it's kind of something that's. Taken taken off, I guess, over the last decade with the Jobs Act and the various acts that have come out of that. So it's become an interesting way for an investor to get exposure to single asset deals, which I like. So you know, from a, a, you can use a crowdfunding platform, for example, to invest in a you know an office building in Chicago or a uh, an apartment building in Los Angeles, even though even though you might be on the East Coast, and that wasn't really possible as a real estate investor just fifteen years ago. You kind of had to have the right connections. You had to have a lot of money. Uh, nowadays, with crowdfunding and, and syndicated investments, you can you can invest in those right away. So, I, I think if you're a you know if you're a accredited investor and you you have some means, um, you have to realize that the investment minimums on those can be high, like twenty five thousand, mm-hmm. fifty thousand, maybe even a hundred thousand. So you got to have some cash, but they can be certainly good deals. It's a great description there.
1: Uh- I'm curious in your own personal situation, I know you have a couple rental properties, I believe, in the East Coast. Why move more of your capital towards publicly traded REITs as opposed to just getting more rental properties yourself
0: yeah it's great it's a great question. I think that comes down to you know how badly do you want to be a landlord <laughs> and to deal with all the uh you know the issues that that come along with that. So if I look back my own experience, you know my wife and I we bought our uh, we bought a row house in Washington D.C. shortly after we got married, and the reason, one of the reasons we did that, is because your typical row house in D.C. is actually a duplex, so it comes with a uh, English, what they're called, English basement apartments. It's kind of unique to D.C. and some other cities, but uh, so you, you buy, you essentially live in the top or live in the bottom if you want, and you can rent out one of the units. And so we couldn't afford to live in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of D.C. at the time, um, but we. We found a way to do it by essentially buying this, uh, this, this property and sort of hacking it up, or they, the, the young people call it these days your house hacking. We didn't know we were doing that at the time. We just you know bought a, bought a duplex and were renting out the other side. And uh, one day, it's kind of a funny story, but one day my, my wife happened to be reading this, an article in the New York Times, I think. This is going back to 2009. And there was an article about a company called Airbed and Breakfast, which, of course, now we know is Airbnb. But at the time, I think people called it Airbed and Breakfast. And she said, you know, wow, instead of doing a full-time rental with our rental unit, we could we could try this Airbnb thing. And at the time, I think we were like one of three units in all of Capitol Hill, in the Capitol neighborhood of D.C. that, were do, that was doing Airbnb. And it was kind of crazy. Like, we listed it, and it was like, I, I think it was like 50 bucks a night. It was really you know cheap at the time. And we, like, booked 100 days in, in like a week and we were like this is unbelievable it's mind blowing right uh, and so, and nowadays if I look at Capitol Hill though, there's probably I'm not going to joke probably 500 Airbnbs in the neighborhood <laughs> of this house um, anyway so that was that was our big first step into like wow you know you can real estate's kind of a thing um, this was a house we wanted to live in and just help pay our mortgage but now it's like well this is this is interesting to us so we made we made two additional investments later on uh, bought two more properties very similar with additional units kind of did the same thing. And now we were our own landlords. We were our own property managers. Um, and, you know, that that can be really tough, especially nowadays if I think of I have a kid and we live outside of DC. Um, so, you know, the two o'clock phone call about a toilet not working or the, the heat's gone off or the AC's gone off is like that has happened multiple times throughout our life it is not a joke. And so if you're not a person who wants to deal with those kind of issues, REITs or these private deals are fantastic. Just invest in the equity and don't deal with all the headaches.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny is, is, you know, you've got this stock portfolio and then a the, uh, conservative, uh, real estate portfolio, as you call it. And I would say I'm the exact opposite. I've, I have a, a healthy real estate portfolio and a very conservative stock portfolio. Um, but it's super cool to be chit-chatting with you. Cause as I was like, Doing my research to ramp up on like starting to get into investing in the stock market, investing in some REITs uh, when I first got started. I read a lot of Motley Fool articles, so this is like super cool, full sucker stuff for me. Um, So tell me a little bit about so with you being invested in REITs and and other performing assets in the stock market and having actual physical real estate, right? There's some other ancillary benefits to real estate. And, like, do you recommend people kind of – diversify like you have across both platforms because you get some of these other benefits from a tax perspective or or you get you know leverage and and appreciation and that kind of a thing or you know do you just wish you were all in one and not the other like now that you've kind of seen both
0: yeah it's a great great question I I think as as I've gotten older and and and, and your time gets sort of more divided especially with family there's I, I'm probably in a situation now where I would have loved to have sold all our physical real estate properties at the height of this recent market. <laughs> Didn't miss, miss that badly, of course. So, but no, I, 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 yeah, I love the question because there are certainly advantages and disadvantages of both. And as you mentioned, like with the direct real estate ownership, when you actually own the properties yourselves, you've got the leverage working for you. Uh, so you've got, you know, assuming you put 20% down or whatever your equity is, you're generally getting five to one um, leverage. Can't get five to one leverage in the stock market, as we know, we'd love to. Uh, so you get that leverage but then you also get of course yeah the tax benefits which means you can write off depreciation which is a big expense you can write off your operating costs and so the the, the real awesome advantage of physical real estate is that generally they're kind of run at a loss right mm-hmm. anyone who's who owns real estate probably knows this but you kind of you, you don't really make too much money you make good cash flow though um, but that that for in, ter- in terms of taxes you're almost breaking even in a lot of cases, because when you add in your mortgage costs, your other operating costs, and then you add a depreciation, which is not, a, you know, it's not a cash expense, but it's a real expense. Uh, generally, in terms of Uncle Sam, you're you're pretty much netting zero, even though you're netting hopefully some cash flow, actual cash flow. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, you also can, if, you, if you're in a market, like I've been in DC for the last 10 years, or other markets, my gosh, if you were investing in Austin, Texas the last 10 years, or name your awesome Sunbelt market, like Miami, you know, Tampa, like, uh, you know, you've seen real estate just appreciate double digits a year for, for years um, in this incredible bull market we've had. So on a, you know, on a leveraged position, you're growing the asset value as well. You're getting cash flow. So direct ownership is awesome if you're willing to put up with the headaches. Uh, I just think, you know, as I, as I do get a little older, I'm thinking to myself, how nice would it be not to have to deal with tenants anymore, uh, not have to file complicated taxes and literally just have equity in a bunch of, you know, different real estate assets, securities and collect dividends and distributions and call it a day. So I'm I'm evolved. I like the fact that we're diversified, but I I certainly, my thinking is definitely evolving as, as I get older.
2: Yeah, man, that's, that's, you know, that's, it's always interesting when I, when I talk to people who are, who are, you know, more invested in the stock market versus real estate, I always like to, to try to learn as much as my, as I can about like why they're pouring their money more into one than the other. Cause everybody's got that like FOMO, like, what should I be? What should I be looking at (laughs) coming forward?
1: I've had a a thought on that that I don't think it's shared enough in our space because I know there's some diehard real estate investors that are hearing this and they're going, yeah, that 13% return sounds okay, but I got 19%. I'm sticking with what I do. (laughs) And it it hit me like maybe everyone else has already thought about this, but it just hit me how few people are thinking this way, that your ROI with traditional real estate investments, long-term rentals, short-term rentals, anything, is it includes more than just your money. It's Your ROI measures money in versus money out. But with real estate investing, there is time, there is risk, there is elbow grease, there is frustration, there is failure. (laughs) Those of us that love it just assume, of course, like this is a part of the game. But there's other people that don't love this, that aren't in love with that. There's people that make very good money in a medical sales job or they're a doctor, they're a lawyer, they have a great opportunity to earn money, but it requires a lot of their focus. And they actually lose money when they invest in real estate because the the return they're getting takes so much of their time that they're taking it away from a place they could make more money. And so it's something I, I realized that a lot of real estate investors don't understand why people invest in stocks or in REITs or in syndications. But it's because you're getting a pure ROI. It's not your time also going into it, Matt. Is that sort of a part of your journey that you had a, a bit of an epiphany with that same concept?
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a fantastic point. I mean, you you there's a lot of things that go into direct real estate ownership that you just don't measure, like you said. I mean, you don't measure the time, even though you can try to, but you don't really, yeah, you don't measure the time, the, sometimes the stress, those little trips that you have to take to buy something really quick for the tenant or to fix something. And uh, it, it's it's good and bad in a lot of ways. It's it's the the return on time is not great, uh, and you're not really measuring the full return that you're getting out of your you know from that the commitment you're putting into a, a, an actual real estate property. But then you're you know you also get there's this there's that cliche sweat equity which which does come into play. I mean I think it you know I think of the fact that my and and gosh YouTube has been a godsend over the last fifteen years. But like you know doing things like replacing a kitchen. Doing drywall work, uh, learning how to paint fast. I mean, it's just <laughs> there's a lot of things you learn, and and avoided having to pay you know a, a contractor some really expensive amount of money or you know especially these days trying to find a contractor is just a nightmare. So uh, what's what's wonderful is real estate. You know, it, it's it's I feel like it's, it's an entryway point, right, for people who don't have like I don't I'm not an engineer. I'm not a, I'm certainly not I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm not a software coder. Gosh, I wish I'd done that. But so real estate was a way for me to enter an asset class, even as a, a person who didn't know anything. And you can get in there, you can buy properties, you can learn how to do things and there's some pain involved. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it, 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 you can make really good, you can make good money if, you, if you're willing to put in the hours and learn how to do things effectively and be your own property manager. Uh, it's not for everyone, and trust me, I I love the idea of just not having to deal with hassles and having you know having a stock portfolio or a private equity portfolio that just doesn't need to require any of my time. I'm a complete passive investor, uh, but you know it, it it can be a wonderful way. I think if you're someone who just has a lot of maybe soft skills, yep. but you want to you know you want to get into an investment where you can really lever up and and get some nice exposure to to real estate.
2: And so let's kind of talk about a little bit of the, you know the, the elephant in the room, right? Like 2021, everybody was a genius in real estate and in the stock market, right? It was, you know, everybody was making money. It was a big party. Um, and now things are a little different, right? You know, you've got the stock markets down. Um, real estate is changing, definitely changing. The environment is changing. And so as someone who has, you know, money in both places, like how are you, maybe changing directions is the, or are you not changing directions and why? And like, how are you preparing for this economic climate um, as it's, you know, fastly evolving around us?
0: Yeah, great question. Definitely a different world than we were in uh, a year ago. I think it goes back to, I think, what David asked about earlier, which was, you know, the comparing sort of the private syndications to REITs. uh, What's amazing about the, I think, the stock market is that Prices and valuations get reflected pretty quickly. So a lot of the great REITs that I follow that I, it's many that I own are, have already been beaten down 30, 40 percent to the point where some of their valuations look the best that they've looked at in seven, eight, nine years. And so I'm excited about that. What I'm seeing on the private side though is that you've got a lot of stubborn operators who aren't willing to kind of mark down the value of their real estate or they're not willing to you know underwrite lower exit values for their properties. And that's that kind of happens in private equity right it's like it's not exposed it, it, it's not repriced every day just like real estate real real estate isn't repriced every day thank goodness but we know the we know the times are tough we know interest rates have gone up we know there's inflation fears and so the value of those assets have, has certainly come down uh, and you're already kind of seeing that in a lot of markets right uh, what I love about REITs is that public REITs, is that a lot of those valuations have come down so much though, and I, I'm seeing a ton of opportunity, opportunity that I didn't see a year ago. Uh, you know, you're for example, you you know, I'm looking one of my favorite REITs I'm looking at is one called Alexandria Real Estate Equities, uh, ticker A-R-E. And it's a it's kind of the leading life sciences REITs. You know, what some of their biggest tenants are, are big drug developers, biotech companies, hospital systems. And a year ago, they were trading probably close to 30 times funds from operations, which is kind of the equivalent. PE for uh, for, for REITs. So 30 times, right? Uh, flash forward to today, they're like at 18 times FFO. And, you know, that makes me pretty excited. I feel like I'm getting a, fair good, a pretty good value in them. And that's, that's very typical of a lot of uh, REITs right now. So the dislocation has kind of happened in the public markets. And so if you're a public market investor, you can kind of take advantage of those. Not so much, I think, in the real estate side where in the direct real estate side where mortgage rates have risen, borrowing costs are a lot higher. It's harder to get in. Or on the private side where I think valuations have not adjusted as much.
1: So as you're considering investing into a REIT, let's say someone hears this and they're like, yeah, I like that passive income. This wasn't mentioned, but I do think that it's worth considering that these are professional real estate investors that are like analyzing these deals at a very high level that do it all the time. They can put on their little nerd goggles and look at something that your, your mom and pop investor or your short-term rental investor, they just don't have angles to see. And uh, if you're looking for a safer investment, obviously, there's nothing guaranteed. But in many ways, a REIT could be a better option than just wandering out and trying it on your own. What are some things that you're looking for within an individual REIT?
0: Yeah, great question. I, I, I think REITs are one of the ultimate parts of the stock market where historical performance is a good indicator of future results, even though, of course, we were trained to believe that that could never be the case. But REITs, uh, real estate in general, is such a steady business. If you think about most REITs, most commercial REITs, they've got leases that they've signed with tenants that run you know, not your typical rental lease, which is six months a year or maybe two years, right? The, in the commercial world, leases run five years, seven years, 10 years, even 15 years. So imagine you know, you're, a, you're a REIT, you own property, and you've got a tenant there that's signed a lease for the next 10 years. And so you have amazing cash flow visibility uh, into that. And the also also great thing is that you know, those leases often come with price escalators, annual price escalators from 3%. Some are linked to CPI, so they're even inflation uh, linked. So you have an asset that's incredibly uh, predictable in terms of cash flow. Uh, So one of the things I look at with REITs is, you know, how has this REIT performed historically? Has it delivered a a nice total return to investors? The other thing you can look at is the management team behind the REIT. And unlike a lot of the other sectors of the economy, uh, in REITs, it's not it's not atypical to find a management team that's been there for 20, 25 years or a CEO that's been with the company since he left college you know, and is still with the company. And if you have a, a management team in place that's delivered great returns to shareholders, they're still involved in the business because it's not a business that really gets disrupted like your typical you know technology stock or software company. Uh, and so you know, if you have a REIT with a great 10, 15, 20-year track record, it's highly likely it's probably going to have a pretty good track record. Uh, Going forward, and then with with REITs, you know, one you know, attractive things, of course, is the dividend. Um, that's why a lot of I think most investors think of REITs is because they pay high they pay nice dividends. But you know, you need to take a take a look at the payout ratio and understand you know what kind of earnings power the REIT has, uh, what kind what are it's funds from operations, which is sort of the cash flow of the REIT, and make sure that payout ratio is say below seventy percent is a, is a good kind of threshold. And if so, if you've got a REIT with a good track record, good management team, payout ratio is reasonable, uh, good chance, that's a that's a good investment opportunity right there.
1: Well, something you were talking about that I was thinking was a lot of the people that are doing really well in, let's say, the short-term rental space. Let's take Scottsdale, Arizona or the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, really popular areas. If you bought your oh, yeah. place in 2019, 2020, you probably paid half of what those, those uh, are now, and your interest rate was half of what it is now. Those people are crushing it. They're, they're doing amazing. <laughs> if you're trying to get into that market today, it is incredibly difficult and you're oh. not going to get the same return. And so with the REIT, part of what's cool, it would it would be like buying into someone else's Scottsdale short-term rental at 2018 or 2019 numbers, right? So a lot of those deals that they've bought over the years, you are now jumping into that incredible like opportunity and the cash flows that they're receiving versus trying to get into the, the market that's more difficult now. Any thoughts on that?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a great, great point. I mean, so you, your, what your question reminded me of the, um, there's a REIT called Invitation Homes, and the ticker is INVH, and they focus. Is that a Blackstone's? Well, it's it, it was originally it was owned by Blackstone. It was kind of founded by Blackstone, who spun out several years okay. ago, and uh, they they specialize in single family rentals um, in a lot of hot markets, and you know that their stock price is down. I want to say twenty five percent from its high, and so yeah, in a way. If I'm a, if I'm buying invitation homes today, I'm getting exposure to this massive single-family rental market mm. uh, at probably yeah, like you said, 2017, 2018 prices. Where as an individual, if I go out and try to buy a house in one of those markets, yeah, right. good luck. It's it's a lot more expensive and hard to do.
2: Can you talk a little bit about? Um I don't know if the right word is mindset, but let me kind of frame it up for you and then and then you will kind of see where I'm going. So as a traditional real estate investor, when we're buying a property, right, we're looking to get it at a good price where we're going to get some cash flow um, and then hope, hopefully we get some appreciation. But the goal typically for most buy and hold investors is to get in and then we hold that thing for as long as possible. Right. And reap the benefits for as long as possible. When we're talking about REITs, how should somebody who may be traditionally looking at you know, owning property who might be interested in now looking into some of these REITs. Like, what's the mindset you should have as you go into trying to buy into a REIT? You know, cause there's, you know, with stocks, you can, you can try to buy low, sell high in a month, right? Or you can try to mm-hmm. hold it for the long term. You can buy because you like the dividend payouts and you, you're buying for cash flow. Like, what's kind of that mindset you should have when you're looking at a REIT versus traditional real estate?
0: Yeah, it's hard to do, but if you can have the same mindset, that you do with, with you know, a, a traditional house or property, it's, it's, it, that's the way to go, right? I, you know, I look at my portfolio, I've, I've, there's several REITs I've owned for like over 10 years. And that's because, hey, I, you know, I, I, I like the company, I like the assets, they pay me a nice dividend that's grown over time. Why would I sell, right? Uh, and it's, it's tempting to get, you know, go into the stock market, uh, for, especially for those who haven't, you know, been in the stock market to just go in, buy a bunch Watch your, maybe watch the REITs go up 10% and you're thinking, oh, I'm a genius, I'm going to sell right now, lock in that profit, and I'm good to go. The, the reason I like REITs especially to have that sort of slower mindset is because, yeah, you are buying into something that's, that's paying you a dividend. And by the way, if you can reinvest that dividend, you can kind of grow your stake in that REIT over time uh, really tax efficiently and even boost your dividends that way. Uh, so one of the un- really underappreciated things about REITs is that you know, because they're for they're supposed they're forced to pay out ninety percent of their pre-tax income as dividends. That way they don't have they don't pay federal taxes. A lot of investors think that's a disadvantage because a REIT can't, you know, retain earnings. It has to always issue new equity or issue debt because it needs to re isn't,
1: I believe, isn't it like ninety percent of the earnings have to be reissued? Is that right?
0: Yeah, 90, 90% percent pre-tax has to be paid out as, as dividends. What I love about that though, is it forces REIT managers to be really Conscious about the capital they have at the company, and to not, you know, not to do anything silly with the with shareholder capital. Uh, that's not the case for your typical company that is, you know, you might have a CEO at a at a software company or e-commerce company, and they get they're, they're getting cash, you know, they're they're making money, and they're like, well, we're gonna start all these newfangled projects. We're gonna go buy this other company. We're gonna buy out a competitor, and oftentimes they end up wasting a lot of shareholder capital. Whereas with a REIT, I get the dividend income myself. I can make the best decision. Uh, as an investor, what to do with the capital. And the C- on the other hand, the CEO of the REIT, the, the board of the REIT has to make the best decision as well, because they're paying out, like I said, 90% of their pre-tax income. Uh, so in a way, it's like REITs are like the ultimate long-term hold investment. Uh, I think if you find a good one or two, buy, hold, reinvest the dividends, and you'll feel pretty good in a bunch of years.
2: I love that, man. And I was, I was I was I was wanting you to kind of reiterate that for people, because like we have like especially new stock market investors, like we get into this idea of like trading, like the word trading in the stock market tend to be oh, yeah. like this synonymous thing. And that's absolutely not how you should look at it if you're going to invest in something. That you're hoping produces a long term return, especially now, right? Like, I've had to just delete, delete the apps, the broker apps off my phone. Like, I don't want to, I'm buying stocks for the long term, right? And so it's like, you could you get into this roller coaster of emotions and um, and it's it's best to just like have a strategy whatever that strategy is as long as it's an educated strategy and then you've got to force yourself to stick to it and I find it harder to force myself to stick to that strategy when it comes to investing in the stock market or investing in REITs than I do with my traditional real estate and mostly because they've kind of gamified this this investing with the the apps yeah. on your phone and there's the bright colors and it's super cool and you know and so I've just yeah. I've gotta I've gotta just delete it, set it and forget it and and try not to pay attention to the news.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think real estate investors should have the best mindset um, because yeah, you're using you're used to holding assets that aren't repriced every day. You're not trading in and out of real estate. Right. So of course. What's your thoughts on that, Matt? That's something
1: I, I my thoughts are a lot of people get into day trading. They get sucked into making money through real estate. Because it feels good to the ego to be able to say this stock went up, this share went up, I did good today, and it gives you that feeling of progress that you did well. But it's, overall, to me, it's bad for your wealth building because you're not focused on being productive. You're looking at something your money already did. And then when it goes poorly, it impacts you emotionally and you feel like crap. And now you don't want to go work hard to get more money. Are you of the mindset that it's better to find a way to make investing as boring as possible and just let it do its thing? Or do you think that there's a place for the people that are like micromanaging their individual portfolios?
0: I, yeah, I don't want to say I don't want to make investing in the stock market sound boring. Uh, you know, it, it it can be fun. I mean, I think the most joy I have investing is you know just learning about a new company, learning about a new reit, learning about a new industry, and you know if you know, if if I like it, getting some skin in the game. I think that's exciting. But yeah, where you should treat stock investing is watching paint dry. Yes, yeah. generally just. <laughs> You know that's that's the approach you want to take with the stock market, and, and dividends and REIT, dividend paying companies and REITs allow you to do that. I think unlike a lot of uh, other stocks, because you know talking about the gamification of it, yeah, I might feel good if my if the stock I own is up ten percent, but to me it's almost better. It's like I love when I get the quarterly dividend check. That's like my ego boost. I'm like, oh yeah, this company just. Uh, you know, gave me gave me some wrote me a check. And by the way, sometimes you know when they raise the dividend, I'm like, oh, I just got a pay raise. This company just mm-hmm. gave me a pay raise, uh, and so it's fun to see that that cascade and and you know your the quarterly cash you're getting from these stocks and reach to go up over time. Um, it might seem like paint, you know, watching paint dry, but it can be incredibly lucrative.
1: I think that's the key: is when the check comes in, you can get your excitement from that, right? Like yeah. as a real estate investor, when the cash flow comes in, get excited. Don't check oh, yeah. the price of the house on Zillow three times a day.
2: <laughs> Did it go up? Did it
0: go? Oh, went down. This is
2: horrible. <laughs> My zestimate is crashing.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you know I saw Redfin. that. Why is Redfin? Why is Redfin five percent less than the zestimate?
1: Yeah, <laughs> and you're like emailing really? Redfin requesting yeah. like a new appraisal yeah. on your house because. <laughs> (laughs) It's not as high as Zillow's is, or something. Uh, I noticed this with a lot of the crypto investors. Like, there's some really sad stories of when it tanked recently suicides happening, like people, horrific, horribly sad stories that people put their identity in their net worth through an asset class that is so volatile. They thought they were a real millionaire because these assets went up to a million. And then when they went down, they absolutely tanked. And I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at is if you let, your a rising asset price or your portfolio going up in value make you feel good, you are exposing yourself to the downside where it can also make you feel bad. And if you can sort of detach from the outcome and just say, here's the fundamentals. I'm going to continue to invest based on the research that I did. Like I like what you said. Do a lot of research on the paint color. And then once you put it on, just let it dry. <laughs> just let exactly. it be. Let it be. Boring. Watching
2: paint dry can be fun. You get the. the that's it looks different in different lights. You want to let it dry and see if it's colored. That's looks your like Arkansas you show in there, brother. Like. Oh, sorry, sorry. Excuse me. We don't have a lot to do here, so you go down yeah, to the it's home base. Much
1: slower pace over there. I remember when I visited Arkansas. They were like really proud of the Bill Clinton Library. The fact that Derek Fisher was from there. And yeah, uh, one yeah. other thing, uh, what was it? It was uh, Dillard's. It has their headquarters there. And, like everyone is yes. very proud of those three things.
2: Yes, we also have Walmart headquartered here, and so you all probably bought now. something from there recently. So you're welcome.
0: No, I love, I love, I love the point, David. Uh, just because what a lot of investors don't appreciate, who are especially newer investors, is the the downside hurts a lot more than the upside. Yeah. I and various. Psychologists have written things. I think Jason Swag has written about this in the past. But it's just I think the losing money on a stock hurts like three times as much as the the euphoria from winning or you know, gaining ten percent on a stock. And uh yeah, I mean, especially in crypto. I mean, my goodness. I, I'm not a crypto investor. I I've had fun staying poor the last few years, I guess, but uh <laughs> it's an incredibly volatile space. Um and now you know, a lot of these, these DeFi projects and stuff, you're, you're layering on leverage to what is already an extremely volatile asset. Um, yeah. That just, you know, in the, in my boring, boring old real estate world, you just can't do that. Um, but man, it's, it can be treacherous. So when it comes to looking for
1: specific information about REITs, do you have some favorite resources? Is the Motley Fool a good place to go? Is there other places that you recommend people look these up?
0: Sure. Yeah. If you go to, yeah, fool.com, um, there's a whole, you know, we kind of have real estate as a whole sector there. Uh, there's, there's free articles every day coming out, um, you know, talking about various REITs or real estate companies. Uh, I, I think one of the best things you can do if you, you know, go to fool.com, I should do that first, I guess. But second, um, if you go to a lot of these companies' websites, I mean, just go to, uh, to, let's use an example, um, realty incomes website, ticker O, it's probably the most well-known REIT out there. It's one of the largest ones. You go to their website, there's a huge, there's great investor relations segment of their website that has presentations, that has transcripts from conference calls and earnings press releases. And it, it has so much great information. Um, and so you can really get to know a company just based on its investing relations site. I think that's, that's get it right from the source, you know, and there's, there's always usually a section on the dividend history and how long they paid the dividend and, you know, what the current yield is and things like that. That's um, it's all, it's all useful stuff. Um, I don't know if this is a good opportunity for me to do this or not, but I will go ahead and do it. You know, there's, there's a service I run at The Motley Fool called Real Estate Winners. I don't, like, I don't love the name, so you, you guys can tell me what you think of the name. <laughs> it's called Real Estate Winners. You know, when you're trying to start a service, you kind of have to do a trademark search and figure out what names you can actually use. So that was one name we could use, so we took it. Anyway, so with Real Estate Winners, it's mostly a REIT-based investing service. It's a subscription And what we do is we come out with one or two new REIT ideas a month, along with a bunch of other content. Um, And if you go to REITs.fool.com right now, you can get a a nice 20 or 25% discount off the annual subscription fee. So um, we, of course, are publishing research all the time on that service and new ideas as well. So that's a great – I have to get that plug in, so –
2: Can you go a a layer deeper for us? And for those, like, because, I I mean, I I love even how simple it sounds. Like, you want to know something about somebody, go to their website. Like, I get that. But for those of us who are just, there's just a lot of people who are intimidated by The stock market, and then like doing this individual research because it's it's, the information is not all in one consolidated place. So, if I'm researching REITs and I'm going to these websites, what are like two to three key metrics I should be looking for at these websites?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think look at a. uh, This is a little bit of an insider metric, but funds from operations. I've mentioned it a few times. Um, It's commonly known as FFO, and that is the REITs basically the, the key earnings metric that's for REITs because like we talked about with real estate uh, depreciation is a major expense so when your average company reports earnings um, you know it's usually depreciations in there but most companies don't have a, a lot of depreciation because they don't they're not asset heavy they're not very capital intensive but REITs of course you know own real estate and real estate is an asset that you can depreciate um uh, over time and so FFO um it, it takes earnings it it takes out the depreciation adjusts for it adjusts for some other expenses and that gives you kind of like a good underlying way of looking at a reit has the ffo what is the ffo per share what is the price to ffo per share has the ffo grown over time uh, and that kind of tells you how a reit's earnings um, are doing i think looking at looking at the balance sheet is is good too um, i think something like um you know, like your 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 debt to EBITDA, for example, with REITs, uh, something that's try to find a REIT that's say trading for less to, uh, less than seven or eight times debt to EBITDA is is gives you a good indication that the balance sheet's probably fine, and you know the the REIT's not going to run into any financial issues. And then the other one I mentioned, I think earlier, is the payout ratio. Um, that's that's the you know especially if you're a dividend focused investor like I am, uh, you want to make sure that the dividend is both sustainable and can be grown over time. And if dividend, if the dividend per share is, say, 70% of the FFO per share, generally that dividend is going to be fine. If it's above that number, if it's above 70%, you have to be a little worried that the, the dividend could either be cut or that it could be have trouble growing um, that dividend over time. So I think those are three metrics, and they're very easy to find. Again, if you go to a REIT's investor relations website, usually the earnings release will have those metrics at the very top, and you can kind of figure it out.
3: Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high tech sensors that detect break ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24 7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with SimpliSafe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafecom slash pockets. There's no safe like Safe. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit enric.com/ slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot slash B-P-P-O-D.
1: What are some things you've seen in a REIT where they've gone wrong, where
0: the, it did not perform well or, or maybe people might have lost money? Well, yeah, one of the big, one of the big traps that I think investors will get into is there's a whole class of REITs called mortgage REITs. And they're REITs that aren't backed by real property or assets. They're simply REITs that invest in securities, commercial-backed securities, mortgage securities, or they lend. They do a lot of lending mm. to, uh, to commercial real estate or, or residential mortgage borrowers. And what's attractive about those is the yields can be really high. So, for example, uh, one, one REIT that comes to rhyme right now is Armour Residential REIT. I think the ticker is ARR. But if you look at that, it's, it has a 16.5% yield on it right now. And as a novice investor, I'm thinking to myself, whoa, like 16.5% dividend yield? Dude, sign me up, right? Uh, but then you look at the, the long-term total returns of that REIT and they're, uh, they're abysmal. Hmm. And that's because essentially what's happened is the mortgage REIT has not made in, as much income as it's paid out in dividends. And so this, the value of the, the equity of the company has just steadily declined. And that's very typical. And so one of the things I wanted to mention on the show was just that if you're looking at REITs, Pay attention to equity REITs, not mortgage REITs. Uh, mortgage REITs are a whole different class. It's, it's very, they're much more difficult to analyze. Uh, but if you look at equity REITs, you know that the REIT is backed by real estate. And it makes all of its income essentially from real estate operations like rents or other things. And so that's one, that's one kind of red flag um, to look for. Is the play on a mortgage REIT
1: that over time the amortization schedule starts to favor the company because the prep, the majority of the payments are interest in the beginning is that why they're set up that way
0: in a way but they a lot of those REITs don't they're not run that way unfortunately I, I, yeah i like what you, i like where you're going there but no a lot of these REITs unfortunately they're kind of trading in and out of these securities all the time they're buying and selling them they're they're buying them and levering them up in a lot of cases which is why they can pay out those incredible yields so i have yet to come across a mortgage REIT that i can confidently say yes this is a even the even the some of the best ones in in the industry that would be like starwood's got a mortgage reIT uh, Blackstone's got a couple mortgage REITs, I think and uh, you know I'm not going to bet against starwood property Trust or, or Blackstone but again even there the the reITs have kind of underperformed uh, over time versus your typical equity rate uh, so yeah it's 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 a really it's a really different and process and I, I kind of just avoid the space altogether because why play in a playground? That's tough when I can play in a a sandbox that has great opportunities.
2: So yeah, man, as somebody who, again, owns property, is invested in REITs, right? We talked a lot about how to research some of these REITs. And so if I'm a real estate investor now looking to get into REITs, should I focus on looking at REITs that are involved in asset classes that I know, or should I just be looking for opportunity in a REIT, like a reef that's trading lower than it traditionally has now and jumping in, right? Like how, how you know, cause there's, you know, there's like, you know, SPG who's like more commercial or there's, you know, there's reefs that do with storage and there's reefs that do with, with single families, like you talked about earlier. And so kind of give us some framework around that.
0: Sure. I, I would, yeah, I would, I would, I'd be very simple. You know, I wouldn't try to Go in and try to guess which REIT is trading at a low valuation, or which might be the best opportunity. I mean, one easy way to start, if you want, just to, to dip your toe in, would be there's the Vanguard Real Estate ETF. Uh, the ticker's VNQ. It's uh, you know I want to say it's 95% REITs, and it's it has some other real estate holdings, and that's a great. It's got a it's got a nice track record. It's delivered about a nine percent return since inception over like sixteen years. Uh, the only dif- disadvantage with an ETF general, including VNQ, is that like a lot of them, they're, they're market cap weighted. So if you look at if you look at it, you're, you're buying into that, what you think is a very diversified ETF, but you're actually getting tons of exposure to data centers and cell phone tower uh, REITs, which are, they happen to be the, the largest REITs. And so you're not getting a lot of diversification in other areas of the market, like you said, self-storage or office or apartments. And so my approach, when someone asked me, like, how do, how do I, how do I start a REIT portfolio? I would simply go out to the market, again, looking at REITs that have outperformed or delivered nice returns over time. And I would just get a basket in, you know, I'd I'd buy an apartment REIT. I'd buy um, a hospitality REIT. I'd buy a self-storage REIT, an industrial REIT, which there are many now. uh, And yeah, buy a data center REIT as well. So if you've got, you know, six or seven REITs that you can invest in, it's a pretty good basket. And you can kind of feel confident that, you know, I'm not going to try it. I can't really time when a particular, you know, REIT or a particular real estate sector is going to do well. But I, at least I get good exposure broadly to the to the sector. Um, you know, you, one, one area that I'm a little concerned about, two areas probably, but one mainly is, is office used to be one of the biggest parts of the real estate sector, as you can imagine. And it's... More than any other part of the market, I think since COVID, it's the one with the biggest uncertainties, right? And there's just millions, tens of millions of square feet of empty office space right now in a lot of places. And that's either got to be replaced or it's got to be sold at bargain prices. And so a lot of those office REITs, are it's going to be a struggle, I think, for for a while. So that might be one area of the REIT market I, I would avoid. The other one might be traditional retail, uh, even though I think a lot of those are trading at just really fire sale prices. So you might get you know some opportunity there. So with your
1: position on the overall macroeconomic situation that the country's in, like I guess I was thinking when you were talking about mortgage-backed REITs, I don't know this, but my intuition would tell me that there's so much capital that has been infused into the markets and these head funds like Blackstone have to find something to do with it that they're like, hey, let's go buy a bunch of paper because we can get a higher return on it than what we can raise the money at rates were very low, there was tons of capital. I don't know this for sure. And there's probably a lot more complication than I'm aware of. But in general, you kind of make decisions that you wouldn't normally make when there's so much money and you have to invest it somewhere. Do you think that some of those asset classes are at risk if we see quantitative tightening take place or if we have a bit of a reset? And that's why you're more towards the equity-based rates?
0: Yeah. No, it's 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 a very good point. I I think where the as we get higher interest rates, of quantitative tightening, I think, of course, unfortunately, you're not going to see the the blackstones of the world go down. Obviously, because they, you know, like you said, they they can borrow, even today they can borrow at rates that are obscene. What you're seeing, and what I'm already seeing, is that you're seeing a struggle at the smaller operator level. So I look at a lot of private equity real estate companies that are small. They you know they own several properties or they own maybe 500 unit apartment units, right? Very small, and. They're the ones who are, are really taking the brunt, right? Because they can't borrow at the the ridiculously low rates that some of the big institutions can. Um, you know, in, in a lot of cases, they're getting high interest rate construction loans or high interest rate mezzanine loans or bridge loans, trying to you know develop do a, a single development in, in a town, a city, or town, or they're trying to recapitalize something. And you're going to see the stress there first, as always, with the smaller players, and you're seeing that. With the big with the big reITs the the nice thing about reITs in general right now is ReITs reITs have some of the best balance sheets they've had in years um, they kind of learned their lesson from the GFC you know 12 13 years ago when reITs were a lot more leveraged You're so a lot of great equity financial crisis correct yeah, yeah it's a great financial crisis uh, it, I shouldn't assume that people know what that acronym means I, did. But, I was actually uh, shooting from the hip there I had no idea No, you anyway. nailed it <laughs> you, you, you nailed it great uh, so they learned a lot of lessons back then and I think they entered this latest crisis with COVID and now this tightening cycle in, in much better shape. Um, so I, I have little worry about some of the you know, mostly larger REITs mm. out there in the public space. The smaller private operators are the ones where there's probably going to be stress.
1: That makes a lot of sense, actually. W- when it comes to investing strategies with, I mean, obviously, we've got a lot of money in circulation, but we also have really high rates. Um, we have a lot of inflation with regular household goods. Like things are changing at a pretty quick pace. What's your thoughts on? Are you leaning more towards defensive minded strategies where you're trying to retain wealth you've built, or are there opportunities that you think where you can go be aggressive and increase your wealth?
0: Yeah, great question. I, you know i I tend to think steady Eddie through most cycles, right? I mean, yeah. don't change your strategy too much based on what's happening in the macro economy. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say. Certainly, compared to last year, I, I feel like there are probably more opportunities in the market today. So I am feeling a little more aggressive, um, you know. So I'm, I'm I am playing a little offense. I mean, I'm I'm of the mind, and how, how you guys land, but I'm I'm kind of of the mind that we're probably in a situation where inflation is is just about to peak, and you're already seeing a lot of you know commodity prices roll over. You're seeing rents start to to kind of flatten out. Housing prices are definitely probably going to come down, and so we're probably at that sort of in terms of the inflation boogeyman, maybe that that nightmare is sort of coming to an end now there's other risks to the economy we could, we could have a recession, energy prices are still high there's uh, ukraine russia there's still supply chains i mean there's just a lot out there right now, but you know last fall i, I it was really difficult to find opportunities in the market uh, and even taking a five year view, I felt pretty like my my opportunity set was empty My opportunity set's fairly good right now especially if you're taking the three four five year time horizon so i'd say yeah i mean i'm never the guy who jumps in and dives in and says this is the bottom man we should be you know i'm buying stocks hand over fist but certainly we're in the spaces i look at dividend paying companies reits i'm seeing some pretty good opportunities
2: so with real estate like physical real estate one of the benefits that we enjoy is the ability to kind of leverage your assets to to either reinvest and go and buy other assets like are there ways to do that with REITs specifically or with stocks like what are some other ancillary benefits other than just dividends that uh, a REIT might provide you
0: well yeah I mean it's it's you certainly can't get the leverage of course that you can and um you know, with direct real estate ownership. With REITs, the benefit is, you are I mean, A, you're getting a dividend that's not double taxed. Um, so, you're getting, uh, you know, a dividend straight from the companies without without them having paid federal income taxes on it. Now, the downside, of course, is that with REIT dividends, you're, you're usually paying at your marginal tax rate. It's not the, the preferred capital gains rate. So, REIT dividends are generally not qualified, which is kind of a, you know, something that a lot of people don't know. So, that's that's a downside and a good side though because generally you're getting a higher dividend anyway even though you're paying a little bit higher taxes. Um, but no, I, I think with you know with with you have to remember with REITs even though as an equity investor in REITs you're not getting a lot of those leverage slash depreciation slash tax advantages bonus. the operators of the real estate are so the companies you're investing in are getting those benefits and it's resulting in good cash flow and good earnings to you after all those benefits are factored in. Uh, so that's and you know right well and, and they're taking leverage on their side right i mean they're oftentimes with REITs just like we take mortgages on houses they've got you know they've got loans out outstanding on their properties right and so they are getting leverage returns and what's fantastic about that is you know when a REIT signs a new lease or that lease goes up or that rent goes up 3% you know they're getting a leverage return on that and 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 getting that to you so real estate's great for turning small returns into great returns using leverage um, and even with a REIT you kind of get it indirectly
2: yeah man I, I like that perspective and you know i've I've always well I shouldn't say I've always well since I've been building a stock portfolio um, reITs have always been interesting to me've I've, I've owned a few I've since sold out of them because I've changed my strategy but um, what I do like is so we I recently had a question um, from someone who was considering buying a property that essentially was going to break even or even lose a little bit on the cash flow, right? But they were still willing to try to purchase this property in order to get in the game, right? And they were wondering, was that the the right thing to do or 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 the best strategy? And my thought there was like, that's more somebody who probably has some cash on hand, because you're going to be losing cash every month if you're not getting cash flow. And so like, being able to leverage somebody else's investment in your asset is probably a better use of the money than going ahead and buying something that's going to be losing. And, and we at that point, we're thinking about like, yeah, well, you can leverage somebody who has a fund, right, that's in the asset class. But now talking to you, it's being able to put that into some sort of REIT as well is probably not a bad idea. And so all that to say like if you're scared to get in the market or if you can't time the market just right right now to buy something and you're considering buying something that's going to and you're worried about it's going to lose money, this could be a great option for you to try to research and understand can you buy into a REIT that maybe isn't trading as high as it could as it as it used to? And you're taking advantage of somebody else who is a professional investor and who has bought at the right time, and you kind of get a piece of that. So I I love that perspective.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I again, as long as you're investing capital you don't need right now, and you know you have a long enough time horizon, uh, it's it's a great place to put capital. I I, I certainly, yeah, I wouldn't be the one to rush out just to try to buy a property uh, that was cash flow losing just because I want to. Get some, you know. I want to get one. It's FOMO or whatever you want to say. So, uh, I, I would say the REIT was a, would win the option for it, would win the battle for me there.
1: All right. Well, this has been fantastic. I'm having a really good time here. We're going to move on to the last segment of our show. Famous for. This is going to be a modified one just for you, Matt. Henry and I will take turns firing questions off at you. Question number one What is your favorite? stock or equity related book
0: i don't know if it's my absolute favorite but since it's, it's appropriate to the topic uh, there's a book called investing in reits you know it's one of those watching paint dry titles but <laughs> <laughs> investing in reits by ralph block who used to be a member of the motley fool and he unfortunately he's, he's passed away several years ago but it, it's kind of considered the the primer on investing in reits and it's very easy to read it's an awesome you know it, it can really educate you about the market and uh I've read the book three times, actually, <laughs> and I, you know, I have a, I have a book that's my version is just scribbled with notes because it's just so many good insights that I always go back to. So, uh, investing in REITs would be the book.
2: So, it, with this question for real estate investors, typically ask, "What's your favorite uh, investment book?" and everybody always says, "You know, rich dad, poor dad." So, so what's the rich dad, poor dad of the stock market mm-hmm. world? Is it Money Master the Game? Like, what's that book?
0: Oh gosh, and the Intelligent Investor. i've never read it so it could be (laughs) uh you know i i think um you know i'm sure you've gotten this one but the the roger lowenstein biography of warren buffett i think it's called um the making of an american capitalist it's not so about the stock market i mean of course it's about warren buffett so it's about the stock market but that is probably one of my favorite stock market books um I do love Rich Dad Poor Dad though. I mean just to just to go back to that one. I I definitely read that one and despite whatever Robert Kiyosaki has become today, I think he wrote one of the best books out there <laughs> yeah, for, <laughs> for real it. estate
2: investors. <laughs> that's a fact. All right, sorry for the deviation. <laughs> Question number 2. What is your favorite focused stock podcast and or episode?
0: Oh, um well, oh, gosh, I, Chris Hill would kill me if I didn't say Motley Full Money, right? But okay, that's that's boring. Um, I think the Patrick O'Shaughnessy, uh, Colossus family of podcasts, is, especially his Investing Like the Best podcast, um, I, I go to that pretty, pretty often. Um, so I think that's probably my go-to.
2: Awesome. So what hobby or skill set do you need to be in the stock market?
0: I think ultimately you have to have two things. I think you have to be curious, curious about businesses, curious about finances. And then I think you need to be have patience, <laughs> which is <laughs> hard. Uh, and I don't have it all the time, but I think if you're a patient person, that's, that's uh, absolutely the key. It just, you have to have the right sort of emotional mindset to not care what happens in the stock market every day or every month or even every year. It's, it's just really just investing in great companies, holding them and, and being very patient.
1: All right. In your opinion, what sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started?
0: Yeah. I think my last answer to that, the third, the, the other question might, because I would, I probably feel the same way. It's, it's really, it comes down to emotional fortitude more than anything else. I think that's what, it's not who's smarter or I think, or, or who does better research or who's more diligent. It really comes down to just your emotional fortitude.
2: All right. So where can people find out more about you?
0: All right. Well, you can, yeah, you can go to, you can go to fool.com. I'm also a uh, uh, you know a regular guest on our Motley Fool Money podcast and radio show with uh, with Chris Hill, but yeah, if you're interested in really taking a big step into uh, real estate investing in the stock market, you can go to REITs.fool.com and that will give you access, a subscription access to the service I work on called Real Estate Winners, uh, and there's a I think there's a discount there of 25% off the normal price. Um, so if you're really interested, go to REITs.fool.com. Uh but like fool.com is just a great place to start of course with all a bunch of free articles on on real estate investing so start there
1: fantastic thank you very much for this matt this has been insightful even a little profound that i would say and most importantly fun i can tell that you are a uh, full-time podcaster for a job because you did a great job we appreciate you being here
0: oh thanks david thanks henry thank you very much great time this is david
1: green for henry the fifth wonder of arkansas washington (laughs) signing off